Unless you've been living under a rock, you're familiar with what happened in the crypto industry in 2022 with mass contagion that saw the collapse of platforms like Celsius, FTX, BlockFi, and of course, Voyager. Well, Adam Levine and Shingo Levine, his son, who was only 19 when he joined the board of Voyager and partnered with the platform they had built, Ethos, have really intimate knowledge of what happened there, what's likely to happen for creditors in recovery, and they're also building something much better. If you're a Voyager creditor or have been affected by crypto contagion at all, this conversation is for you. That's dope. Yeah, well, now you're being recorded by Skynet. Uh, ChatGPT is here monitoring us to take over our brains with the uh, AI, right? The robots are Most coming excellent. for our job. 10% is going to be. Yeah, I don't know what the point of any of this is anyways when we know that the robots are coming for our jobs and, <laughs> and our lives in the future, right? <laughs> the two of you have a interesting path through the crypto space, which, as everybody probably knows by now, led to Voyager. but now you're leading us out of that, but I would love some context as to how you both got into the space, created Ethos, which was not your first company, I believe, and then ended up working with Voyager. Yeah, short, strange trip. Uh, you want to tee off, Shingo, or you want me to do it? Sure. It's it's a bit, it's been now a long, strange trip at this point. Um, yeah. So you know, we first got into the space back in 2016 uh, when we started Ethos together. Um, you know, back then it was a very different space. And as anyone who's been in the space, you know, that long uh, can attest to, you know, it was very, it was very developer centric. Crypto was very different back then. The technology was very different back then. Um, and uh, and we had, we had the idea of creating a easy to use multi, uh, multi blockchain wallet. And we created that uh, back then it really struck a chord with the, with the crypto community because there really weren't any easy to use tools at that, at that time. Um, and we grew it to 100,000 users. And in the process, we had also built this backend platform called uh, Bedrock. So in Bedrock, you can think of it sort of like a Swift for a crypto kind of system where uh, it was a multi-chain API uh, that helped developers rapidly build blockchain applications on top of it. So uh, it was uh, the universal wallet that we built that, uh, that had 100,000 users was sort of the first real use case of that that platform that that uh, was powered by Bedrock. So we, and we'll call it two guys there, just uh, Tim Simmons, who's he's now over at Zero Hash, and Derek Barrera, who's CEO of Steer.com, uh, Steer.finance, excuse me. Those two guys built, it was like a Ferrari of, they used GraphQL, they got everything down to four endpoints. It was just a beautiful, beautiful system that was essentially a self-custody developer system that could do stuff like automated deposits, withdrawals, wallet monitoring, creation i mean it was just a great platform and uh yeah th those guys did amazing work on it yeah so that was uh so that was sort of the backdrop before we met crypto trading inc um and uh you know they, they these guys were creating some you know financial technologies they were pursuing some licenses although clearly fewer licenses than we thought um and uh and, and you know they were going to make this public company and, and we'll, at the and time, Steve said, uh, well, we're either do a cannabis play or a crypto play. We picked uh, crypto. <laughs> um, yeah, the, that uh, that was uh, Steve's story to us about how he got into crypto. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so we so we, uh, we we saw a lot of synergies between the two companies. And we uh, and basically our pitch to them was, look, you know, Coinbase is, you know, already in this space and they're this big dominant player. No one's really challenging them. You got Robinhood out there. They're about to launch their crypto system, but it's going to be several years before where they have, you know, real crypto to crypto, you know, brokerage services. So, uh, you know, you guys can be really ahead of the curve by using our technology and, uh, you know, combined with your order routing system in our, in our user base and, um, and with a token, then you can you can you can have this really powerful system, um, and uh, and we were able to convince them that, that was that was the case, and we and to set the table, Shingo, just this was like a ten twenty million dollar market cap they were at, and no users. It was like they had nothing, and what we brought was essentially all the crypto infrastructure and knowledge and team uh, into that organization and capital and capital, yeah. Yeah, they and, they were they had a very difficult time fundraising at that that time. In fact, we had a whole. Um, uh, we had a whole trip that we went out to Asia and did a, like a whole investor roadshow and got exactly zero investors. Um, yeah. 
And uh, and so, uh, you know, Voyager Voyager was that was actually the first time Voyager almost went bankrupt. They were they had a couple weeks of runway left and they had to delay, you know, salaries and they had to, you know, push out all their, um, you know, their expenses because they were just about to run out of money. And so we and at that time, we helped them restructure the company as well. So the the company was believe it or not back then even as a early startup they were still bloated um as a company and we uh helped them restructure that company to be a lot more streamlined and a lot more cost efficient um and revenue focused um and helped them launch the first version of their app uh and actually we got the uh deposits and withdrawals up and running before even the merger commenced uh, uh consummated so uh we had you know we had a lot of uh we had a lot of great stuff going there um Unfortunately, when we pushed, when we were doing that process, uh, we we created some friction because the CTO at that time, who was wildly incompetent, um, was one of the childhood friends of the founders, and that created sort of the initial friction because that CTO really didn't have any business being the CTO of that company, and we had you know it was a, it was a really good way for us to uh, streamline the company, reduce costs, and also uh, create a better. Uh, organizational structure but the uh but the but the problem was that then sort of created the initial uh friction back for that so uh but it it still was uh that restructuring that we did back in 20 that must have been 2019 uh set up the company for the rapid growth that then came you know came after it uh so i think that's the backdrop uh leading up to our uh our involvement in voyager and then we can talk more about then you know what happened afterwards uh i, I can add I, also a little a little color to that too if you'd like scott um sure. i mean i mean my feeling in the org was that we just what a ceo needs to do is put the right people in the right roles with the right missions right and you can if you do that properly you can really get an organization that uh does amazing things and actually a lot of the people at voyager were very talented people that uh you know it's kind of part of the tragedy that that team executed really well there was some very strong individuals in there and, and we just you know we try and look at that dispassionately which is here's the right structure to optimize success and i think like there was always this weird thing like if we brought up the truth of the matter what actually had to be done it generated that friction which was a little bit of a culture class like some organizations are you know the optimal structure and uh, team is not always what they want for other reasons. And, uh, the other thing that really, that was really struck me about this is we had negotiated, you know, salary package for all of us. That was part of the, the deal. The day we closed, the day we closed, the CEO comes to Steve and says, Oh, we don't have enough money to pay you. We got to, sorry, we can't pay you. Like what? After like this whole, you know, like we negotiated it for like a year. Yeah. So there were some early red flags. So there were some early red flags. To, to give some context, I met them in 2019 as well. Well, you were before, but I met them in 2019 at World CryptoCon. They were sponsoring Charlie Shrem's stage at the World mm -hmm. CryptoCon, and I was a speaker. And I was actually, I, I believe, one of the first few hundred people who was really using it. And mm -hmm. not because there was a yield product, because it was great at aggregating liquidity from multiple exchanges, right? I mean, mm -hmm. for the very yeah. intended original purpose. And I loved the platform and thought it worked exceptionally well, which I guess now is a credit to you, uh, which I didn't know at the time, but not necessarily a credit to them. But that's how I originally met them. I just tested the product and I liked it and became, you know, effectively a power user, which led to me being a power creditor, I guess. Uh, as, I just as, a credit to many people, uh, many people like they had a lot of a lot of talented people there. So I, 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 think and I loved I loved everyone I met there. The Amateo on the marketing side and mm -hmm. Steve Pone yep. was there at the time. And I met Steve yep. early there guy. as yeah. well. So I think I, I don't want to rehash the pain for everybody of the actual process, because I think we know somewhat what happened. They did have that hyper growth that you talked about them being set up for, largely because of the success of Dogecoin, I think. Uh, they got yeah, you know, was a big all factor, these yeah. hundreds of thousands <laughs> of signups rushing in at once because they had yeah. Doge listed. We saw how uh, poorly equipped they were and every other exchange, to be fair, to onboard that level, you know, customer service and things like that. But eventually they did become this massive company my feeling was that they became a massive company with millions of users and those users were not there to trade like I was. They were there mm -hmm. to earn yield 
And those yields became increasingly harder to find with time. And we can skip all the niceties in between. Eventually, that led to Steve giving a massive unsecured loan to 3AC, and they blew up. Is that that a great summary before we go on? That's pretty good. I mean, it was so unnecessary, too. He didn't have to lend out that money. You know, he just he he was like itching to he felt this pressure to deliver a yield that was he didn't have to have in there. Right. He didn't have to, but he wasn't going to be able to keep maintain those high yields that he perceived. I'm assuming the customers were there for without putting the money to work, or at least I would say that's what's in his mind. Yeah, I would say I would say that there were sort of two classes of users, as you sort of put it, you know, the users that were there for the yield and the users that were there for the trading. And I, I was also a trading user, too. I, I really just liked the trading system. And the trage- another tragedy of Voyager was that the trading platform and the trading business was a profitable business. It was a great business. And sure, it was a smaller business than the than the giant yield business. And sure, probably not all the three and a half million users we can which we can talk about, you know, may or may not be all real um the uh that you know they they weren't all there for for trading um but uh there was a core base a really core loyal user base that was trading quite a bit and it was generating a lot of revenue and it would it would have been a smaller business but it would have been a profitable one and it would have been one that would have protected a lot of creditors so uh that that's the that's the real tragedy of voyager which is that the yield business wasn't wasn't profitable and it wasn't necessary yeah Exactly. You know, um, I, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life and I've gone through all these entrepreneurship programs and there's like some stuff that they drill into you. You know, first one is never believe your own baloney, right? I mean, don't like, you never want to get too big for your own britches. You know, they say a great sell indicator for a public company is when you see the CEO in a lot of magazine covers or whatever, because they're out there and they're, they, they have the wrong priorities. The, the CEO's job is value for the stakeholders, period. There's no other job, right? And 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 that means protecting all stakeholders' interests. And that was obviously a massive failure when it comes to pretty much everybody involved in this thing, right? Customers, creditors, shareholders, employees, every single one of them was burned by this incredibly irresponsible activity. And uh and and the other one is when you when you have a company, you you can't be you can't do everything. You have to pick something you're going to be, you're going to aspire to be the best in the world at, and you focus on that and you focus your team on that and you build out from that core. And this kind of like shiny object syndrome uh, was a real issue there with it, with the culture. And, you know, it's just on so many levels. And and again, it's just so, I, we shouldn't rehash it too much, but I, I do want to say, I, I really feel like there's a lot of people at the Voyager team who did great work and this the way it ended was a great disservice to them. And I think, honestly, to be quite frank, from my conversations with some of them, they had no idea and found out when we did. Yes, absolutely. It was a well-hidden, yeah. uh, it was it was all, it was was like the wagon wheel org chart with one guy in the middle and spokes to everyone. Right. So I, I, I really don't think that it, there were people who were complicit, as many think, or who even had any knowledge. They were just marketing what they believed to be a great product. But that obviously leads us uh, on the timeline to the insolvency I think we all have our own stories about how that happened. I personally couldn't get my money out even if I tried because they reduced it, as you know, to $10,000. And I had yep. personally had my crypto withdrawals uh, deactivated by the team because for security purposes. And then when I saw Celsius go down and tried to contact them for a month to turn them back on, nobody responded, right? So I was probably the only user who couldn't even get their Bitcoin or Ethereum out if they tried uh, without going through the dollars. And I know you guys have your own stories about that, but we ended up in an insolvency and in Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which I would argue has been just brutal and a horrible process that has not really benefited. But you guys have been very involved there with what I would have viewed as superior proposals for how this could have ended. Can you yeah. talk about uh, what you saw as the best path for creditors and why you think that didn't necessarily happen? Well, I don't. So our we put forward a proposal for a recovery token, and we said, "Hey, let's let's have a recovery token be part of this. We'll work with anyone who comes to the table." Right? Like we thought about reacquiring our tech because um, we had a carve out for our brand and mark, and I, you know, that portion of the IP. So we retained the ethos brand as part of the agreement itself uh but the the we, we thought about getting the universal wallet back and we thought well you know it's 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 great tech but it is 
five years old at this point, we could probably rebuild faster, more efficiently than all the cost to pull it out of bankruptcy. But we did say, hey, let's have a proposal where we'll work with any acquirer and we'll provide a recovery token that gives them hope for a future. Yeah, Adam. Uh, but before that, you know, we had a couple of other proposals that we had that we had sort of floated. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and I, there, there were a variety of, I think, paths that could have been taken here that would have all uh, been better than the path that we actually took. Uh, one path would have been just returning the assets immediately. You know, yeah, liquidation. They, strangely, yeah, SBF, like, strangely, FTX actually proposed that early in the summer and, and there was a lot of pushback. Listen, our, we would have ended up in Chapter 11 with them, I'm sure. But it is interesting that that was an initial proposal was just liquidate everything, we'll make it right, and everybody can come to FTX. But yeah, continue. Yeah, well, or or just liquidate everything and turn on the withdrawals again. I mean, there was a pretty robust automated withdrawal system there, you know, that that we had helped build. And, uh, and you know, it could definitely sustain that. And it, it was it's still odd to me that that was never even considered as a proposal. Like, we wouldn't have to pay all these lawyers. You don't have to do any risky transaction with FTX, Binance, whoever. Just return the assets. There's 70% there and, uh, you know, give it back. Um, yeah, you know, that that's was a great a point, Shingo. That's a great a point. Less than 70%. And we were actually considering just like, what what would it take if we just sort of said what if we you know liquidate everything into usdc let people you know withdraw usdc and then you know just just give people their usd equivalent of usdc equivalent of 70 percent of their of their recovery um and uh they, they they weren't even willing to listen to that so uh that apparently that was like never even an option another one that we were floating in there and actually one of our early filings we uh we had sort of said like this eight point plan was to restructure the company and give the equity to to creditors so yeah because our point was that there was a very profitable business there the trading business and this is sort of similar thing to what's happening in celsius as well that there's profitable business lines within the within the business and if you give that equity back to to, sh- to the creditors they have a potential to make you know 100 back or you know thousands of percent back you know and the model that we were you know sort of building on is like you look at bitfinex bitfinex had given back 500 percent of their whole back to creditors and you know and creditors would be happy with just 100 let alone you know thousands of percent you know if that's even possible and uh and you could build you know what we we had proposed was a trust structure like a trust company where the where the company the assets and the ip are held in trust for the benefit of creditors and then uh and then revenue is paid out uh, pro rata to you know the creditors based on their claim uh again the they had no interest in doing that one either so uh, they, uh, they didn't even consider the proposal. I mean, it seemed like these guys were dead set on some path they'd already picked. And which was at that time. For, I mean, there's a clear reason for that, right? Which is that uh, doing any of those things and liquidating pushes the executives out and ends the chance that Voyager continues on as a viable business, right? So that 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 sounds like self-interest because bankruptcy in theory is supposed to be restructuring. We saw the stalking horse uh, proposal that they made, which would have kept Voyager operating. It seems like the executives wanted Voyager to keep operating and liquidating was giving up even if it was in the best interest of the creditors because it was not necessarily in their own best interest. Is that a fair assessment? Well, yeah. And I think Steve wanted to hand it to anybody but Adam and Shingo, probably. <laughs> um, and also, I think that uh, there were more, there were larger underlying issues that we were not even aware of until, you know, until the bankruptcy sort of played itself out even more that would cl- that would show that a restructuring was probably not possible. You know, and I would say restructuring today is probably like, you know, not possible at all. Uh, given you know there's 6.2 trillion or something in in claims from the government um you know against against Voyager at this point um but yeah know, did you catch that are... figure Scott in the in yeah. the filings yeah the 6.2 trillion you, yeah when you add up all the uh claims from all the attorney generals of all the stuff they lined up of potential you know liabilities or you know for civil penalties whatever the number added up to what was it Shingo it was, it was somewhere in the trillion range, yeah, and and I also mean, when you a, right. find all the creditor claims as well. So that sounds like you uh, go into Chapter Eleven bankruptcy as a shield against all of the claims, right? Yeah. I, I, I this is just uh, my opinion and speculation, but I think Steve is more concerned with not going to jail than he is with you know creditors or restructuring the company at this point. So right. I don't I don't think that that those factors even sort of factor into the process anymore. Um, and you saw, you know, one of the big issues, which I'm surprised the UCC hasn't been pushing more, is that on the eve of bankruptcy, literally on the day before they declared bankruptcy, they, they got a big insurance 
uh, contract, $10 million, and that insurance contract can only be used to pay directors uh, legal fees. So basically what they did is they transferred $10 million of creditor assets to pay for their own legal fees. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of self-dealing, which I think is, uh, is just not, not right ethically, let alone legally. Um, and, uh, but, you know, the, the UCC, you know, when they went after Steve, he, he claimed to have a, you know, relatively small net worth. Uh, and, uh, and he's paying sort of like, you know, a slap on the wrist basically compared to all that. Right. That, yeah. that, that, that all makes perfect sense. So where do you see it as standing right now? I mean, obviously we had the FTX deal, which was not particularly great. FTX went under, I'll say the silver lining for all of us is that Voyager never transferred their assets to FTX. Cause then we'd probably be in a worse. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I have some, uh, <laughs> some story around that one. Uh, so, uh, well, what was interesting about this, and uh, I, 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 I think there's some interesting story in there that might come out later. But um, what we heard was that the that it was literally the week of that they were about to fly down to Miami. They were about to hand literally hand over the keys, the keys to all the crypto and everything to FTX. FTX had been selected as the winning bidder and all that, and like all the the whole team was ready to like hand over the keys to FTX. And uh, it was that week. When they were about to fly out to to Miami, that CZ tweeted, that CZ put out his tweet saying, you know, uh, you know, outlining all those issues causing the bank run on FTX, which caused you know that that cascading failure that led to FTX's failure. And it's either a massive coincidence or uh, you know the fact that both Binance and FTX were in, both involved with that process. Binance was outbid, and and Binance, you know. Maybe it was concerned over the creditors. Maybe they were just trying to get back to FDX. Who knows? They got a $50 million discount. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they, they, put out that tweet. Either way. they put out that tweet literally like if they, if they put out a couple days later, that FTX uh, transaction probably would have consummated. So uh, I think that it was very coincidental timing that that happened. And I thought that was very interesting. That, and I think that there might be something more you know, that happened behind the scenes there. But, you know, arguably, though, CZ's tweet saved a lot more heartache, right? Because if that yeah, deal had happened to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that's absolutely true. So that leads us, obviously, to the Binance deal, which was effectively $50 million on top of assets instead of 100 What does that mean for creditors, in your guys' opinion? Well, now it's $20 million. So essentially, that whole process... You know, you could argue that the that the uh, UCC and the lawyers involved with this process cost the creditors at least thirty million dollars because Binance had a bid in there, which was fifty million dollars initially. You know, obviously outbid by FTX at that time, and now Binance, realizing they're the only real bidder there, decided to bid lower. And I mean, it's just business to them, and they they're bidding twenty million now. Um, so you could say there's thirty million dollars less for creditors. Um, and uh, I I think that Binance is probably the best option at this point, you know, because you know people just want their assets back. People just people don't care about restructuring Voyager. They don't care about all these different things. They just want their assets back. And I think that that's uh, you know a fair desire. And just to get the assets back, the I think that what uh, I I would love to see some more. Uh, accountability in this whole process for everybody involved with it from the directors to the lawyers to the committee and all that but uh maybe that's uh that's too much to ask for in japan when there's a giant corporate failure the ceo always comes out and apologizes to everybody i'm sorry i failed you that's the first thing they do they take responsibility and they're human i'm sorry this happened i will work tirelessly to to make it up to you and there was like none of that you know i mean some of them will commit seppuku to uh, to, re to restore their honor, uh, you know, and uh, I don't recommend that. But I'm just saying that the, the, that notion of personal responsibility is taken rather seriously. And there was like none of that. And there was never, you know, like this mindset of what is best for the people affected. And, you know, how do I make it up to them? And, and honestly, I mean, that's how Shingo and I were looking at this because we we're thinking, well, you know, how can we try and make this better for everybody? What would be the best situation for everybody involved? And we we came at it from that point of view, and we were trying to discuss it with their bankers and lawyers. And I mean, that was just not again not, not the culture. Not where they were we, we were talking right. like a different language to them. Yeah, we're talking. Yeah. Different <laughs> it was it was it was like we were, we were like talking Greek to them or whatever, and they they kept thinking that that we had like some whatever some ulterior motive or whatever, and we we're just like we just want well, to see we, what's best. <laughs> 
we did, which was trying to come up with something that would be best for oh, everybody. Oh yeah, our ulterior motive was helping people. Then that was the common good. That was suspicious. Yeah, yeah. yeah the ulterior motive was helping people other than three people or so, right? Well, yeah. helping people uh, other than the people who don't deserve to be helped. Yes, right. It, it, exactly. So, what do you think now? I mean, best guess, and I know it will depend on the market, but for anyone who doesn't understand it, when how much could potentially be recovered by an individual? What time frame will that be pegged to as far as the price of these assets? And when could they potentially see recovery and uh, and actually withdraw from Binance US where it appears? Yeah, so the recovery is pegged to July 5th. I think it's still pegged to July 5th, the, the, you know, basically the petition date. Um, and uh, and then also the way, to my understanding, the way it works is that if your assets sort of went like above that price, so say you some some coins have gone up substantially since July fifth. A lot of coins yeah. have. They're going to basically that that additional value that went above that is going to be distributed pro rata to creditors. While any losses, so if your coin went down since that period, those losses are also distributed pro rata to socialized. Creditors. So basically, yeah, it's like everything socialized. Yeah, yeah, it's a big you know. So so the people who gambled on shit coins are either getting highly rewarded or or bailed out. Um, and I think um, also by so effectively, going, there's just one huge pie that's going to be split based on yeah. people's percentage of AUM on on Voyager, yeah. which that does yeah. affect. And, it and then sense. go ahead. Adam. I think the the last figure that I saw was around like 52 to 54 percent. We'll see if it's going to actually be. But there. I think that was with the market at 18 or 19 thousand Bitcoin, and we've seen quite a run since then. So I think it could put it back into the 60s, but maybe that's wishful thinking from a creditor. Let, Adam, I know be, you had something to say. I, I was just going to say, you know, Binance. I mean, I think they have a they've hit our, our interaction with Binance they've always been I would say uh tough but fair in terms of how they deal with their partners and I, so I think they're going to do this in a very straightforward and fair manner and also obviously there's a lot of scrutiny in Binance right now from the US government so I, I think they're also going to you know treat this extra carefully and make sure that every I is dotted and T is crossed which frankly that's what the situation calls for right now yeah, the SEC was not in favor of this Binance proposal. Very, no, very, 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 very quickly dissented, right? But who well, else but the is problem there? is like, what's the alternative? If there's no, uh, the only alternative, which I think liquidate. really should have been afforded more, liquidate, yeah, was yeah. liquidate or, but, or just return the assets to creditors, like turn the app back on and, and just but, let people withdraw, turn but withdrawals who, back on. But right, but now, we're that, right? now we're like 100 tens or 100 million uh, less in advisor and lawyer fees to do so, right? Yeah, and you still need management and lawyers and all that stuff to do that, right? So, like, who's going to operate that? That would have definitely. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but that would have been the move a week after it happened, right? Then the people exactly. would have been. The funny thing is, we all would have been angry. What do you mean seventy cents, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> yeah, well, and and also, you know, I found it very very interesting that what's happening right now in terms of, uh, you know, Kraken, Paxos. Uh, and then uh, Gary Gensler's statement yesterday about um, you know centralized yeah and you know we Shingo wrote a paper we're about to re we're going to re-release it he wrote a paper on uh, custodianship because you can really look at the lens of financial regulation uh, throughout the last say you know forty years fifty years and it's all been centered around the notion of who has custody of the assets and you know they, like they had this issue where it used to be. Investment advisors could also custodize your assets, and then of course they would steer you towards ass, you know, investments that benefited yeah. them, right? So that then the SEC is like, well, no, we better separate that. And investment advisors are separate from the custodian, and then gave rise to all these custodian platforms. And so we're seeing the same thing play out in crypto. Like if these guys are going to take your funds, commingle them, and then use them for whatever. There's got to be rules of the road about that, which I think is good. And uh, and it also then gives rise to this this notion of self custody and how that's just so fundamentally different in so many ways from centralized custody. Yeah, I want yeah. to dig into that further in a second. But before I uh, let us off the hook on the Voyager conversation, was there anything glaring during your time there or leading up that you guys saw happening that uh, would have given you a massive red flag or? That people may not have heard about, uh, you know, that uh, we could have seen this coming. Yes, there was something which, in retrospect, we even should have seen as a red flag. 
Um, <clears throat> so when I left the, so I joined the board, you know, and was joined as the chief innovation officer. Um, uh, when you know when we uh, when we merged the companies together, you know, obviously the first red flag was how they negotiated with us. You know, which we talked about, you know, how the day of the closing they, you know, they they were doing that. But we would say, oh, okay, well maybe you know they're just trying to save money. You know, they're trying to you know business whatever. Um, and you know, in a, in a poetic sort of premonition, they were threatening to go bankrupt with us. Um, if yeah, we didn't, we didn't forgive our salaries. And, uh, it was it was the suicide bomber negotiating tactic. It's good. To um, style, like, yeah, if we go bankrupt, you guys get nothing, and and if we don't, and so you guys better negotiate with us. So that was basically their position. Um, but then when I left the board in February 2021, which by the way, that that dispute, which even after they made all their money and after they, you know, they could clearly afford to pay us, they, they didn't pay us. So, um, so they, uh, the, it was, it was not only a save, save money, but also I think a little bit of a screw you guys. But when I left the, when I left the board in February, 2021, it was because, uh, I was the only dissenting person on, on the board when Steve came, came the night before he was about to close this financing round and he had made a contingency in there where basically he threatened to blow up the entire financing if he wasn't allowed to concurrently sell stock in that financing which is like a big no-no you're supposed to a if you're going to sell stock you have to offer to you know all stockholders you know pro rata and um and b you have to disclose it to the board i'm on, I'm on the board you have to disclose it to me and c he was he was asking for my consent to do this and i said no you know we have, we have to ask some questions we have to at least have a discussion about this and uh, and his response to that was, uh, I don't need your support. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to call for a board meeting and approve it anyways without your support. And that was when I realized that that's how he runs this company. Like, that's how that's how Steve approaches things. And that's probably how he approaches the risk committee, too, which is like, you know, I don't care. I don't care if you don't vote for it. I'm going to do it anyways. That's 10. That was tens of millions of dollars in stock sales, correct? Tens of yes, millions of uh, many. It, it was a substantial thirty million. Portion. I think was the conjecture, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was. It, uh, it, it's all public. It was in the. It's in the Cedar filings. Uh, okay. set, uh, you know, and that this was back in February twenty twenty one. If anyone wants to look it up, it was the financing that they raised at that time, and I was just the only dissenter at that time that 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 did that was sort of asking questions. I was the only person on the board that was asking questions. But it doesn't matter if I'm one vote out of seven. The only person sort of asking those questions. Yeah. So. Uh, so I left, and that in in retrospect, that should have been a bigger red flag for us too. It wasn't a big enough red flag. Yeah, we uh, held a lot of our equity yeah. and got really burned. Unfortunately, yeah, we, yeah, we were the largest shareholder, and we still, you know, we we didn't we didn't sell and stupidly, and we we should have. Um, I, I also want to point out stu one of the stupidly, but uh, there, I mean, integrity does have value. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. <laughs> the uh, I I also want to point out something just really kind of remarkable at all this that sometimes gets glossed over. When Shingo came in and joined that board, he was 19. Uh, and when he resigned from this public board, you were what, 21, 22, something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, he was the youngest member by far. And people forgot about his age. But, you know, part of this, I think, was pride that Steve couldn't listen to Shingo or do what Shingo said, you know, and it's this like biblical collapse because of this man's hubris. And, you know, I give Shingo a ton of, when he, when he came to me and said, dad, I want to get off this board. I want to resign. I think you sure you're on a public board and we're going to give up a lot of influence and control. That was like a huge deal. And, uh, and, you know, so I, I give Shingo tremendous credit for uh, having gone through all this. I mean, I don't know how many like 21 year olds have gone through crap like this. I and, was useless uh, until I was like 35. So I, <laughs> no, I can't uh, speak to speak to any of that for, for sure. It's absolutely incredibly impressive and obviously anyone who's extrapolating back on the timeline that means you were doing quite a few things before you were 19. <laughs> yeah he was so it's uh you know and, and 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 I think kind of leading into where we are now I mean Shingo's always you know punched above his weight class and we're trying to bring you know we're really working our asses off right now trying to build something that that you know take this situation and try and have something positive come out of it in terms of a new venture and a new entity that, you know, we, all the lessons learned here, you know. So talk about that. What lessons were learned and what are you building? Yeah, well, we should be retired at this point, but we're, you know, yeah. the, our our motivation really is, we, we it just didn't sit right with how, how everything went down. And we just couldn't sit on the sidelines and our involvement in the bankruptcy process just like further confirmed that for us. And we, and we just felt that the, the space deserved better creditors deserved better 
Voyage, everybody at Voyager deserve better. Shareholders, employees, like everybody. So, so let, let's talk about what we're doing. I think we got to get to that. Yeah. Um, so the, we're, we're essentially building a decentralized platform to let people, I mean, first and foremost, we've uh, created a new system for self-custody because we looked at this and we said, okay, people don't want to self-custody their own assets. They don't like dealing with keys. They don't like the responsibility of here's 24 words and don't let anybody else see them. And if you lose them, you lose all your money. If anyone else gets them, they take all your money. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous when you think about it, right? Uh, or you have to hand your assets to a centralized custodian and hope they don't screw you. That's essentially the crypto choice right now. And, uh, and we thought, okay, like if Apple, you know, if Steve Jobs said to his guys, go build a better crypto self-custody system, what would they do, right? What would Apple do if you approached a problem like this? They sure as heck wouldn't have what looks like state-of-the-art wallets that are out there right now. Um, and actually, Apple did kind of approach this problem a little bit uh, with the secure enclave, this hardware chip they have on all their phones now. Actually, it was really interesting. They put that on there, essentially a, a, a secure tamper-proof hardware security device for, it was more or less for face ID and biometrics, but you can also use it for crypto keys and, uh, you know, keychain stuff. And then the FBI came to them and said, hey, Apple, uh, we need to be, have a backdoor in here in case of terrorism or money laundering. And Apple's like, nope, we're not going to let you in. We're, this is, this, it was quite a stance they took uh, in retrospect. So anyway, we approached that. We said, how do we build a custody, self-custody system that's really powerful and really easy to use. And we came up with this thing called Magic Keys, which is a key that can be uh, created without all these 24 words and seed phrases and all that, and then uses multi-party cryptography and sharding and shard encoding and backups so that if you lose your phone, uh, you can get them back. And then it uses a concept called uh, Social Guardians, which is something that uh, Vitalik's been pushing for years to protect the key restoration process. So, um, so it all boils down to this thing called the magic key. And we spent months actually really focused on building that. Uh, it's actually, we're, um, we're filing a patent because it is unique, we, mm -hmm. we feel. And, uh, and the patent attorney turned out his brother was a venture capitalist and he's like, Hey, can I invest in this thing too? And so he and his brother came in. <laughs> you got the uh, right lawyer for once. Yeah. He's, he's a great, <laughs> yeah, no, he's a great lawyer. He's, he's great. Yeah. So, so we started with this magic keys and then on top of that, we're building a best price execution engine that that looks across all the DeFi, uh, uh, you know, the the decentralized exchanges for the best price and liquidity. Um, so Sounds we, familiar. So would you go on a limb and call it a decentralized Voyager? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's definitely parts that overlap in terms of best price execution, um, rapid aggregating price and ag aggregating right, and the aggregation. Yep, yield. So there's a yield service in there, but the difference is the yield is all from this vault. So we call it a vault. It's your personal vault. There's no other funds commingled. No one controls it. We will never take possession of keys, coins, and we'll never offer any protocols. It's completely a software platform that's under the user's control, and they make all decisions at all times. So, uh, and it's got a really easy to use UI on top of it. So we're trying to take this advanced MPC key technology and you know, just enterprise grade, you know, fireblocks type type, you know, technology, and make it available to everybody in the planet. Anybody in the world can get their own magic key for free uh, if they want to self custody their own assets. Shingo, I have to imagine that Ethos was your baby. You know, in the coming into the deal with Voyager, I even remember. It's funny that when I used to go try to chart as a trader the VGX token, I had to go look at the Ethos token on Binance because they refused to change the name for so long. Right? <laughs> um, do you ever? It's not the most healthy exercise, but do you ever wonder where Ethos would be if you had never partnered uh, with Voyager and you had just continued on your own? Well, you know, uh, what we were going to do had we had that deal and not gone through with Voyager was we were actually going to build what Voyager done, you know, what what they what they had built there. And we were going to go off and get the licenses and uh, and basically build a, a system like that. And we probably would have naturally gravitated towards where we actually are today, which is now building a decentralized version of that system. Uh, but had we not done the deal with Voyager, we probably would have competed with Voyager and who knows what would happen there, but we would have been, we would have had, you know, deposit with crypto deposit and withdrawals alongside, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the 
you know, order execution and routing system. And we learned how all that routing system worked while we were, you know, talking and doing due diligence with Voyager. Um, so uh, probably not the healthiest exercise, as you said, but uh, but I think it would have been uh, interesting. But um, I, I think, again, you know, going back to the sort of the tragedy of Voyager, I, I think that the combination was really good at that time. And what was needed was another restructuring of the company, you know, about a year after we had done that merger. Like Steve could have rode off into the sunset with his stock and been happy. And we could have brought in a, you know, really a real technical CEO to, you know, that that could run that company. And uh, and I think the company would still be around today and thriving today um, had had, you know, those those steps been taken. But um, it's it's hard to sort of dwell on, you know, what could have been. Right. A lot of things could have been. It's interesting, though, this is, you know, what we're describing here is just a different flavor of the same hubris that we saw across the industry, right? I mean, Adam, you called it hubris before, and I think there's no better way to describe it. Obviously, there was the hubris of Doquan at Luna. I'm not saying mm -hmm. criminal or otherwise, but, you know, he was backed by big money and believed that he could do no wrong and his experiment failed. The hubris of 3AC, the hubris of Alex Mashinsky, the hubris of BlockFi. It, it seems that this was just replicated over and over and over again by people in a similar situation, which was they needed to continue going down the risk curve to hunt for yield because they couldn't accept that maybe uh, they were going to have to lose a few customers to do the right thing. So I guess the natural question is, do you think that people are going to learn their lessons or do you think that we're going to uh, repeat this all again? Shingo, I was telling Adam right before you got on, I crashed a meeting with Three Arrows Capital in Dubai, and I can tell you they're having no problem raising money or getting one, anyone to invest in the things that they're doing, like zero problem. So um, I, you know, I, I don't have the highest hopes that uh, the industry is going to learn. Uh, what do you guys think? Um, I think that in part of the reason that we're doing this is because we really want to push the industry towards decentralization. If you have a fully decentralized system, it prevent centralized collapse it's it's you know it's a very simple concept you know if it's decentralized it's not centralized and uh and that was what crypto is designed to do i mean it's 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 what crypto was founded on you know when you wind the clock all the way back to 2009 when when you know satoshi launched bitcoin it was in response to centralized meltdowns by irresponsible individuals and we've you know we've seen you know now today it's like sort of a mini 2008 you know where where we have a crypto meltdown because of the you know centralized entities where with irresponsible management and crypto the ironic part is that crypto wasn't made to enable this it was made to disintermediate that it was made to you know to to build a better system and you know we as a community as you know collective crypto community have a responsibility immense responsibility to create a you know better an alternative financial system and i think largely we failed in that and um and i think that what we want to do is if even if ethos isn't successful we want to push the industry towards that that decentralized ideal towards building a financial system that works for everybody that's decentralized and that prevents these kinds of centralized collapses and and that's uh, that's where the industry has to go if if it wants to succeed long term because that's that's really what crypto's niche is. Crypto's niche is, yeah. is decentralization. I'll take it one step further. There's a really interesting book Shingo showed me called Mine, which is about the history of owning stuff and what does it mean to own something. And one of the books kind of premises: well, you don't really own anything. Like I own my house. It's like, well, no, you have the right to pay taxes on it, and if you don't pay yeah. taxes. You know, it's like, well, I own the money in my bank account, like kind of, but, you know, somebody put a lien on it, the government can take it or you can be sued or so what do you really own, right? When you come right down to it. And, uh, and the thing you really own is crypto because it can be secured by, you know, uh, a secret only, you know, and, you know, you truly own it. And in the, in the, in some apps, it says in these centralized commingled custodians, it says you own two Bitcoin. I'm like, look, well, you don't really own. No, well, first of all, you don't own it. It should say you're an unsecured creditor for two Bitcoin, but that's not as catchy in the UI. So I hope part of what this what this does is people understanding the difference between mine, I own it, and I've given it to some guy I don't know, and he can do whatever he wants with it. And I think fundamentally that's the problem that uh, the SEC is trying to address is what does it really mean when it says you own? And if you're going to have a service where it says these customers own, then you know, and it's they should really own. Um, and 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 I think it's actually a better business model too, because for the providers like Ethos, you know, they they can provide services and generate software fees 
for enabling people to take true ownership, true ownership over their own assets. Yeah. And to get back to your original question, yes, I think we are doomed to repeat this if we don't move towards that idea of true ownership towards the idea of decentralization. Yeah. And then it will I, happen I, all over again, for yeah. sure. Decentralization is the only path forward. And I'm pretty sure we weren't supposed to uh, rebuild an inferior version of Lehman Brothers in 2022, instead of it, which is effectively what we did. But I love your point here. You said very casually, even if ethos fails, you know, we want to help advance the the ideology and the ethos of crypto and and decentralization. An interesting conversation uh, on here at some point with Tim Draper, and we were talking about sort of comparing the internet bubble, the dot-com bubble with the crypto bubbles. And he shared a similar sentiment, which was that, you know, there's a lot of people rush in. They, most of them genuinely want to create something, but 99% of entrepreneurs are going to fail. But each Mm -hmm. one of them advances the ball further for the ones that Mm -hmm. eventually become the winners. I mean, I've always said, I love the comparison with the dot-com bubble because we got Amazon and we got Google and we got the biggest companies in the world. I don't see how it's a negative Right. But so you're advancing the ideals that originally were supposed to be advanced in the first place. I hope you guys win, but it's pretty noble to say, even if we fail, you know, if, if we fall on our face, that we want to see the the decentralization win. I, I'm not maybe as hopeful as you in humanity uh, at, at my age, but I, I appreciate uh I appreciate that at your age, you you still are idealistic and believe that can be done. I do believe it can be done, but I think that most people still are going to favor centralized platforms. But I do think the crypto native people, you can see it even anecdotally with the purchase of ledger wallets and the kind of move off of exchanges of coins. It, it is happening, at least for the people who get it. So how well, do I the people we, that don't get it, get it? <laughs> if we can make these are decent... Sorry, Shingo, if you can make a decentralized app as easy and convenient as a centralized yes. exchange... That's right. That's right. Because grandma's not going to go on MetaMask and write down her uh, key phrase and send coins from one wallet to another just to play Axie Infinity, right? Okay. No, that's right. But grandma will use Coinbase. And if a decentralized service is as easy as Coinbase or easier, which I think it actually can be easier because there's certain hoops you don't have to jump through, then uh, I think you can get mass adoption. Uh, What were we talking about right before this? Specifically, I was talking about advancing the ball and the idea of decentralization. Now, even if you fail, you know, obviously you could succeed if decentralization succeeds itself. But I was just saying it's a very idealistic goal. And, yeah. I mean, we're, but, you know, we're trying to make it really easy for people. You, you go into our app, you click, you know, create, you get your own magic key, you have a vault, and then you can do stuff with that vault, right? And, yeah. and everything sounds amazing. Yeah, you can load it up. You can trade, you can get yield, and it's all under your own control. So, I mean, and honestly, from a business model, there's some benefits to it. Like at Voyager, there's always a lot of like, you know, plate spinning to try and find liquidity. If somebody puts a big order, let's sell some of this other coin to get liquidity. Here, it's all happening on the blockchain. So there's no counterparty risk for us. And it's just like the user puts together a trade and they broadcast it. And then the, the, you know, it gets, it gets sent to all the decentralized exchanges and they come back and like, yay, nay. And the system can break it up into different little trades across multiple exchanges. Mm -hmm. And then it comes back and it's executed and the funds stay under your control the whole time. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's actually a great system. And the more people that adopt it, uh, and and it's already, there's a ton of liquidity out there. There's a lot of action on DeFi. It's huge. There's a lot of room to grow to in DeFi because DeFi is only somewhere around three to five percent of centralized volume. Um, yeah. and yeah. we, we yeah. sort of like to, like to uh, call this sort of centralized meltdown and sort of like crypto's COVID moment, you know, COVID changed so many different things. It accelerated a lot of trends that were already, that already existed. And it really changed the game for, for a lot of businesses. And I think in the same way, these centralized meltdowns and the now regulatory scrutiny and, <clears throat> and, you know, the changing consumer preferences, uh, is going to really shift the industry towards, uh, towards a different, you know, I, I think towards a different future and, uh, and I'm hopeful that, you know, it's, it's already happening. People are starting to move towards decentralization, but we, I, I want to see that, you know, trend really accelerate and, uh, and decentralization sort of become more of the norm and centralization becomes sort of a, something to avoid or something that, you know, should only be used in, you know, very rare circumstances. Well, Satoshi would be proud of, uh, of that approach for sure. So listen, we've got a couple of minutes left. Anything I should have asked, anything I missed, anything that people might be interested in or don't know about this process that you've been dying to get off of your chest, uh, 
Here's your chance. Um, I, I would like to just say, you know, we've launched uh, a Voyager recovery program where people that are impacted by it can come. They provide their Stratodocs, and we uh, we have a loyalty token that's going to be inside of the app that you can get. We're not selling it. We're just giving it away for people. Then it gives you certain benefits inside the app. Uh, also, on Valentine's Day, we announced love for Celsius uh, people. Um, so it's a new program we announced uh that we're um if if you're a celsius owner please come to ethos.io and you can also sign up there uh that is a little simpler you just provide proof of uh creditor uh status and we'll just give you some tokens um but you know i just want people to know about that program yeah and i I would end it by just saying that you know i I really, I, I'm still hopeful for the industry and I would tell people to sort of remember why crypto exists in the first place. Remember why, you know, crypto was created and the, and the ideas behind it, because those ideas have only been reinforced by this. You know, the centralized collapses aren't crypto's fault. Crypto wasn't designed to create centralized systems. Crypto was, was designed to create decentralized systems. And, uh, you know, I would hold out hope for, uh, for a better future. And that you know this this is just another bump along the way towards getting uh you know building the ideal financial future you know financial future that is open safe and fair for everybody and that everybody has equitable access to that's 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 an ideal that i think that should not be lost in all of this i absolutely agree it was eloquently spoken and a perfect way to end and i would much rather uh, go on to ethos and upload my claim than go trade it on uh three arrows capitals new exchange but i guess that's a conversation <laughs> for for another day thank you Singo and adam oh and where can everybody i'll just give you the chance real quick where can everybody follow both of you uh and also of course you said ethos.io so i think we got that part but where can people follow you uh keep up with your exploits and follow uh, all the things you guys are doing uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ethos underscore IO or at shingle Levine on Twitter. Uh, L-A-V-I-N-E. I know we're not going to Adam Levine you, buddy. Don't yeah, worry. Thank you. I appreciate that. I've already clarified <laughs> that we're not going to, we're not going to maroon five buckets. I just did it. I did it. On every yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, I, I, I should be so lucky to be compared to him. Uh, but, it could be worse. <laughs> it could be worse. Yeah. He's actually he's a good guy. Uh, and then I'm Adam Levine, L-A-V-I-N-E at Gmail, uh, at uh, Twitter. So, you can follow awesome. one or both. Yep. Guys, give them both a follow. Uh, I love everything that you've done uh, to my benefit and for the community. So, uh, just, you know, let us know how we can help uh, consider uh, continue on that path towards decentralization. Thank you guys very much. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. 